0: You are listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk, a World Affairs Council conversation with authoritative voices discussing significant news-making issues and individuals. Sponsored by Greenberg Traurig LLP. <music>
1: On July 15th, in just over two months, Pakistanis will head to the polls for the country's general election. A week ago in Lahore, Imran Khan, the leader of the opposition, kicked off his campaign. The former cricket player is described as a populist. He is being challenged by the political party of the former Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif, who was removed from office last year by the Supreme Court and is now in the midst of an investigation over alleged corruption. Turning to relations with the United States, at the beginning of this year, the Trump administration announced that it would suspend security assistance, in other words, military sales, due to President Trump's belief that Pakistan is not doing enough in the war against terrorism. In fact, the president's very first tweet, I'm told, of 2018 was about Pakistan. They give safe havens to terrorists. We hunt in Afghanistan. No more. To discuss these and other subjects, we are joined by one of Pakistan's most accomplished diplomats, Ambassador Aziz Chowdhury, who has been in his post in Washington for just over a year. Most recently, the ambassador served for four years as Foreign Secretary, and his other posts included assignments at the United Nations, Tehran, and Cairo. And he received his Master's in International Relations from the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy at Tufts University. Delighted to have you here in Dallas. Thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you. Thank you. I'm also very pleased to be at WSU.
1: So the election is in just about two months. What can you tell us about the principal candidates and the differences in their respective platforms?
2: Well, the elected government is now completing its term later this month. And this is the second time that a democratically elected government is completing its term. Mm -hmm. So since 2008, our democratic process is beginning to take roots. Uh, and for as per our constitution, there will be 60 days during which election campaign will be run and the elections are to be held before the end of July. Naturally, like all democratic processes, this one is noisy too.
1: I like that it's only two months.
2: It's, it's only <laughs> two months, that's right. But for us, it is extremely important. Because our democratic process in our country has been interrupted in the 70 years of our history four times. And for us, it's important that democratic process continues and takes roots. So with these elections taking place and the transfer of power taking place to the next elected government is an extremely vital step in our democratic journey in Pakistan.
1: How many parties have a legitimate shot of winning? and Do you expect that there'll be a coalition government?
2: There are large number of parties, mm-hmm. but there are three or four leading parties, some regional parties. And I believe that they all are working hard. I cannot predict because they all claim to command popularity, and I think many do. So we don't know. Let the people of Pakistan decide that.
1: When I was looking at articles yesterday and this morning, Imran Khan, as I mentioned, is always described as a populist. Mm-hmm. What does that mean in your country? Because we've seen such you know, different interpretations, well, whether it's in Europe well, or the United States. people
2: have different way of describing their leaders. I believe at one level, all democratic candidates going for elections would probably like to see what people want. That's what makes democratic process so important that you have to be people sensitive. So I, I believe every leader is now trying to find what is it that the people of Pakistan. Is.
1: Before we move to the relations with the United States, how are elections financed in Pakistan?
2: Well, there's an election commission of Pakistan which is sort of laid down rules. Mostly people, those who want to contest. They fund it either out of their own resources or mm-hmm. they mobilize the resources from their supporters.
1: From their political party? From their
2: political party, and they are to stay within the limits which have been ordained by the Election Commission of Pakistan.
1: By chance, you know what those limits are?
2: Well, there are prescribed limits, Mm -hmm. and uh, people have to follow them.
1: Just a few hours ago, your interior minister fortunately survived an attempted assassination Mm -hmm. attempt. Are you concerned about more instances of violence like this leading up to the election?
2: Well, violence could happen because that is something germane to the times through which the whole world is passing. We have actually come a long way, having uh, reversed the tide of terrorism. Pakistan is now much, much safer than it was a couple of years ago. So we would keep our fingers crossed. We hope that elections will remain peaceful. They should remain peaceful. Those who resort to violence, they have no space in Pakistan. They shouldn't have space in Pakistan. And the people of Pakistan do not have any appreciation for such elements.
1: One of the things, too, was that I think Americans really don't appreciate how much the war against terror has cost your country. Give us a sense of how many people have died in the dislocation in Pakistan.
2: To do that, let me first also state that for people of Pakistan, this was really not their war. But it landed in our lap, and then we own up. And we said, all right, we will fight it now that it has become our war. It started with the Afghan jihad concept that came as a legacy of the Cold War. And we saw that after the Soviets left, these militants, they stayed back. And after 9-11, when tore was the bombed, they all moved towards tribal areas in Pakistan. When Pakistan sided with the U.S.-led coalition, we became their target. And we were in the literally eye of the storm for good 10 12 years from mm-hmm. 2003 to 2014 until the politicians got together when this present government took over that's where the political parties got together and they said enough is enough violence and terrorism under any pretext is not acceptable that enabled our armed forces mm-hmm. to move into tribal areas and cleaned up and secured the climate. in just in about 3 years it came at a huge cost as you rightly mentioned over 6000 soldiers 17000 injured 23000 civilians mm. 125 or $126 billion worth of losses, economic losses that we suffered. But people are happy that today we have reversed the tide of terrorism in a region and a time when the whole, the rest of the world is still grappling.
1: So you say that, and yet President Trump in that infamous tweet, the first tweet of 2018 says completely the opposite and suspended military assistance and aid. So how do we reconcile these two different views? Well,
2: the tweet, we think, created a sense of disappointment in Pakistan because we had committed considerable amount of our time, energy, and resources in expelling all these militants, uh, in eliminating the terrorists, and uh, we have shown the results. And we used to have 150 terrorist incidents on the average, right up to 2014, and today you can't count them on the fingers on the of a single hand. So we are happy about it. Our job is not yet done. Mm-hmm. But I think the, the mindset that gives rise to these extremist behavior is still to be tackled. So we are going for a national action plan, madrasa reforms, and a lot of others, other actions. Um, we will make it happen. But we know uh, that uh, this is all uh, tentative if Afghanistan next door is not stable. And that's why we want the United States and Pakistan to work together to stabilize Afghanistan. It's been a long war for you. And
1: that's a question I wanted to ask you because, you know, at a certain point in time, many of the Taliban leaders were in Pakistan. How do you see a reconciliation with the Taliban and, for lack of a better term, the the government of Afghanistan? Is there someone who can really speak for all of the Taliban now?
2: We don't know. Mm -hmm. We do not speak for Taliban. They are not our proxy. They are not our bet. But we know one thing, that there is no military solution to Afghanistan.
1: Has to be a political situation.
2: I think so. There has to be a comprehensive political solution. We are squeezing space on Taliban. We are giving them a very clear message that you are Afghans, you join the political mainstream in Afghanistan, and that's where you belong. So we are pushing them. But the problem is that if the use of force continues in Afghanistan, then Taliban could come back. So therefore we are focusing a lot on border management. Um, we believe that Pakistan, the United States and Afghanistan should work together to secure that border. There should be no cross-border movement of terrorists. There are bad guys going from Pakistan to Afghanistan doing bad things and coming back, and there are bad guys coming from Afghanistan mm-hmm. doing bad things in Pakistan and going back there.
1: So what is the state today of U.S.-Pakistani relations?
2: Well, us pakistan relations are passing through a shallow patch, but we think that this has happened in the past too. Pakistan and United States in our 70 years of history have worked together for long periods, 50s, 60s, 80s, most recently in 2000s, when we fought al-Qaeda together, an organization that had caused nine eleven. If you don't see al-Qaeda today, it is because we had eliminated al-Qaeda. We had eliminated 1,100 of their operatives and we had captured 600 of them and, and handed over to the U.S. And if somebody turns around and tells us that you have not done enough against terrorism, I think i think we we it's it's not being recognized so that's why when the tweet came and suspension of security assistance came we said all right we don't need your assistance yes it would undermine our efforts to counter terrorism but our national resolve is so strong that we will fight with our own resources because we have made a determination our leadership has given a commitment to the people of pakistan we will not let any terrorists remain in Pakistan, and we will continue. So
1: your alternatives are purchasing arms from, say, what, China?
2: No, we are producing our own arms. We are also developing self-sufficiency. But if the United States does not offer its assistance in fighting what we believe is a joint mission of Mm -hmm. fighting terrorism, then, of course, that vacuum will be filled from other sources.
1: Your Excellency, I want to thank you so much for being our guest on Global IQ Minute. Thank you
2: very much for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk, a production of the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth. Subscribe and rate Global IQ Minute on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite app. For information about a World Affairs Council in your community, visit worldaffairscouncils.org. Global IQ Minute is sponsored by Greenberg Traurig LLP, a global firm with 2,000 attorneys in 38 offices across the globe. Visit the firm at gtlaw.com.